Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us today. Reason for Hope, in case it's your first time, is an hour-long live broadcast which is guided by your questions on the Bible. We're live on various online platforms and you can send in your questions on the Bible. We have some wonderful guests here who love the Word and love the Lord and they love to answer your questions and that's what we're all about here. So if you have a question on the Bible, maybe a, there's a specific verse that's just confusing to you or the Bible as a whole, uh, where it came from, where it's going, uh, or <laughs> there you go, Christianity covering it all. That's right. <laughs> yeah, any question on this line, maybe something you're going through in your in your, your own life, you'd like a biblical perspective. What does God say about different lifestyles and choices that we have to make? Anything along those lines, as long as it's an honest question, and as long as you know, like I said, we get the answers from the Bible as accurately as we can. We want to know what God says about these things in His Word. So that's what we're all about here. So we're we are very glad for your questions as they're coming in because they provide the content for us as we go along. My name is David Rob David Robson. I use my full name. <laughs> Dave David Robson. Robson? Dave, David it Robson. It sounds like you're in trouble. And it does, yeah. I mean, that is my name, David, but I usually go by Dave. I don't when know I was in David trouble, my mom would use all three of my names. Oh, boy. And I knew I was really in Dutch. Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, when I heard David, I'm like, uh-oh, what, <laughs> what did I do now? I'm in court. <laughs> but anyway, David or Dave Robson, you can you can call me Dave if you like, and I'll be your host today. And field in those questions, I'll be on all those platforms with you as those questions come on in. And with us today, our guest, we have Pastor Scott Richards, who's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship Tucson, where we're broadcasting from. How That's are you? me. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm really excited uh, about our Ezekiel study tonight. Yep. I'm going to try to set an all-time record. Three chapters of Scripture get in one message. Get out of here. We'll get out about two in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, wow. That would be a record, I think. Hopefully, hopefully it'll be more condensed. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, we have a service tonight here at, at CCF. At 6.30, so about half an hour after we come off of uh, air with Reason for Hope, we'll be going live again on the same platform. So if you'd like to join us for that, we're going through the book of Ezekiel, as you mentioned. So that's exciting, three chapters. Cool. Yeah, the title, uh, I was wrestling with that. Uh, one of the uh, titles I thought of was Epitaph for an Empire, because it's about the decline and fall and complete crash of Egypt. Uh, but then it focuses in on Pharaoh at the end, so I thought maybe Funeral for a Fiend. Oh, wow. A little homage to Elton John there. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait to see which one you go Maybe for. Maybe both. both. Yeah. Maybe both. <laughs> Subtitles. You can do that. You're the yeah. senior pastor. You can do whatever yeah. you want. Yep. Call it what you want. Also with us, Pastor Sean Richards. You know our friend, our regular here. How are you doing? Yeah, still a little throat issue, but uh, hopefully we'll only stay there and perhaps ease off in time. Yes, you had a you um, head up our student ministry over there, and you had a lock-in Friday night. I know my kids were there, so you missed the night's sleep. And so I know yesterday your your soft tones were putting me to sleep over here. I wanted you to come tell me a bedtime story, but <laughs> I'll get a sore throat more often then. <laughs> yes, and I'll call you when I can't sleep. Sure, tell me a story. But yeah, thank you both. Almost like our RFK Junior over there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, thank I don't you. I know both. what that means. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard him talk? He's a little, a little guttural there. Really, really, that's yeah. my RFK Junior imitation. There. Oh, that's yeah. good. You're pretty good at those yeah. impressions. Yes, Tucker. They're all out to get us. <laughs> I challenge you to yeah, talk like that go. for the entire show. Yeah. Just keeping that voice. That would be great. Well, thank you both for being here, and um, thank you all for joining us. As I mentioned, a reason for hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, five to six p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona, where we're broadcasting from. And as I mentioned, it's an outreach and ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in Tucson. And you're welcome to come check us out if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship here in the, the Tucson area. 
We're right by Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. Pretty convenient location in the business park right there. Um, so yeah, come along and check us out. We have Sunday services, three of them, and a Wednesday evening service, as we mentioned as well. We also stream live to these same channels that you're joining us on that I'm going to go over. So, so keep that in mind. Our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Uh, we are live there. If you go to that Watch Live tab, that will take you out to our live page. Whenever we're live, we stream to there. It's a good home base for you. When we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next show, and you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well. Um, but as we're live right now, you'll see the video, and you can sign in with the username and send your question in through the chat function that will appear there. The direct link is ccftucson.online.church. If you type that right into your search bar, ccftucson.online.church will take you to that same page or again follow the link from calvarychristianfellowship.com and I'll be looking for those questions coming on in. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash ccf Tucson or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. You'll see Pastor Scott's picture right there with our service schedule. We're live there. Don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. But that's another way you can send your question in in the chat function. I'll be watching there, watching and waiting. Uh, for your questions there as well. We have an app. Uh, again, you've guessed it, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Look for that red background with the white Calvary Chapel Dove logo. And um, that's our app that you can download and watch us on your mobile device. Or if you prefer a large screen, we have a Roku channel and a channel on Apple TV as well. So if you have uh, like a Roku stick or a smart TV with those capabilities, look for our channel, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your channel store. You can add us as a channel and watch us on your big screen as well. I don't think there's a, a, the ability to send in a question that way, but send your question in through one of these other methods and just watch us on the on the big screen. That would be my suggestion. We're on YouTube as well, of course, live there as we speak. The channel is called A Reason for Hope, so look for A Reason for Hope there on YouTube. Again, look for um, the White Calvary Chapel Dove logo. I think there's a couple of A Reason for Hope um, channels around the world, so look for that Calvary Chapel White Dove um, outline logo there, the Calvary Chapel yeah, logo, as I mentioned. Uh, we're live there. If you go to uh, also that live tab, um, that has an archive of our videos. If you missed a show or would like to recap one, anytime we've been live, it will archive there uh, for you. So that's a good re resource for you as well. And don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, click on that notification bell. And then you'll get a little, uh, little notification when we're live. You won't have to miss anything. <coughs> Excuse me, moving swiftly on. We're on Twitter as well, or at least Pastor Scott here is. Scott R4H. That's me. That's you. Yeah. Uh, Scott, letter R, number four, letter H is his handle, where he posts kind of highlights from the show and also uh, like prophecy updates and things going on in the world, news articles as they relate to biblical prophecy and that kind of thing as well. So if you're on Twitter, we'd uh, appreciate if you follow along with Scott. Scott R4H there on Twitter or X or however it's being branded. These days, uh, we are on the Rumble platform as well. We're not live there, but we post videos. Uh, look for a Reason for Hope Bible Q&A, and you'll find us there. And last but not least, we have an email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out with letters at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on the radio, uh, you'll want to use that email address as you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. Everywhere else we are live. Live as can be, but on the radio, you're listening to yesterday's show, basically. But questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can send your question there, and we'll try to get that to that on our next show. And uh, when you can or when you prefer, join us on one of those live platforms. We'd love to have you there. So however you found us, we're very glad that you have. Once again, send your questions in, get them in early, and we'll try and parcel out the time to get to all those today. And before we go any further, I have a great idea. Why don't we pray? 
What a, what a great when, original when idea. When all else fails, <laughs> that's, right. that's usually the mentality. <laughs> Who wants it today, boys? I love it. All right. All right. Take Father, it. I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to come into your presence and to know that uh, speaking here on earth, uh, you hear us in heaven. I remember playing around with a ham radio when I was a little kid and just being amazed that some guy on a sheep farm in New Zealand could actually hear my voice and respond to my name. What an amazing thing it is that speaking here on earth, our voices are heard in heaven. Uh, amazing. Lord, help us to take full advantage of that privilege to talk and communicate and share with you on a heart-to-heart level. And Lord, on that, that uh, light, we would ask you to be with us here on this broadcast. We would ask you to guide our conversation. We would ask that the questions that uh, we tackle would be precisely those questions that you have in mind. And uh, Lord, that uh, we would not only be able to answer the presenting question, but get through the questions of the heart that sometimes mm. are underneath every question we get asked. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to serve you today. We pray that your word would go forth in power, conviction, comfort, uh, and uh, bring people to a saving relationship with you, maybe for the very first time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. That. Great. There we go. Well, ready to dive right into questions here? Let, let's delve. Let's delve. <laughs> <laughs> We my are, favorite, we, my favorite David, de, yes, Davism. Delve into the word. I, yes. I say that a lot. Yes. Now I'm paranoid about it, and I don't yeah. want to say it anymore. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> Question from the Carson family: uh, What does the Bible say about how we are to take care of our physical bodies? So, with food and exercise and medicines, etc. Very important question for all of us that have bodies, which is, you know, most people, I would say. Yeah. Well, I th- I think you start uh, with the basics. Uh, Romans chapter twelve. In verse 1, Paul writes, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you might approve what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So uh, I I think the, the, the basic GPS heading that we should have is this. We should present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Well, uh, you know, when we start to bring some other scriptures into that, that tells us uh, some things. In the book of Malachi chapter one, uh, God calls the people of Israel out for offering defective sacrifices uh, to him. Uh, you know, the, the maim and the lame and, and so on, the, the, the mm-hmm. stuff uh, that was considered B grade. And he said, would you do that to your governor? Uh, you know, the, the interesting thing to me is, is this, uh, what motivates, say someone, uh, to start taking better care of their body. Sometimes it's a negative. They get a diagnosis from their doctor and say, you know, you keep, uh, you know, mainlining junk food every day. You're not going to last very long. Uh, perhaps it's high blood pressure. These things uh, can be a real wake-up call. Uh, other people, interestingly enough, uh, decide that they're going to uh, work on their physical appearance, their their physical body, uh, because of uh, the reactions of other people around them. Uh, we don't want to uh, be a person that is looked upon as uh, slovenly or a, a person that was uh, overindulging. Uh, we want people to find us pleasing in their sight. And so when we begin to understand that, and we begin to understand that, uh, you know, in a sense, we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice uh, to someone today. Uh, we're presenting our bodies maybe to ourselves uh, because we want to overindulge 
Uh, maybe uh, we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to others because we want their admiration, their respect, or for them to find us attractive. Mm. When we present our bodies a living sacrifice to God, uh, what we do is uh, kind of like uh, the, the whole Christian worldview, in a sense, on uh, environmentalism. Uh, I firmly believe that it is really only a Christian worldview uh, that gives you uh, the ability to be able to have a consistently pro-environmental ethic. Why? Because God created the heavens and the earth. He created man, placed us in the garden, gave us a command uh, to exercise dominion over the creation, to tend the garden, look after it. Uh, because we respect our creator, we respect the creation. We don't want to foul it. We don't want to destroy it. We don't want to exploit it. We want to be found the best stewards possible of it. And so I think the same thing uh, applies to uh, how we deal with our bodies physically. We have to realize, first of all, our bodies were fearfully and wonderfully made, according to Psalm 139, uh, that God has given us these bodies. And uh, that uh, the more you study human anatomy and physiology and the incredible complexity that God has created in the human body, the more respect you're going to have for it, uh, the better you're going to want to keep it up. Uh, you know, uh, the other thing is this. Uh, we want to be in a place where we can serve the Lord uh, in as an effective way as possible for as long as we possibly can until the Lord decides to take us home. Mm. And so uh, eating right, which uh, according to my wife, who's a personal trainer, is 80% of uh, fitness, diet, uh, that, it. it's huge. Uh, the other 20% exercise, I think if we take those things seriously, but take them seriously in the sense of saying, okay, God, uh, if I am fearfully and wonderfully made, if you have given me this body as a vehicle that I can use, uh, I know it's a tent that'll be taken down someday, but it's a vehicle that you can use for your glory. If I can make some lifestyle changes, some choices as far as regular exercise goes, and, and maybe being more cognizant of uh, a diet that promotes health instead of uh, you know, the, you know, constant struggles uh, with illness and so forth, uh, well then uh, I'm going to be able to not only run my race, but run my race with endurance. I'm going to get to the other side. Mm. So I would say, you know, as a, a person that regularly exercises, I've always been that way. Believe it or not, I've always enjoyed running. Some people say, are you nuts? Uh, I've, for some reason I'm wired that way. My grandfather uh, ran the mile at the University of Kansas. Apparently I inherited the gene because mm. I just, I love it, you know. Uh, you know, to quote Chariots of Fire, uh, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think when we look at our bodies and we realize that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price, that we are the temple uh, of the Holy Spirit, uh, we're not going to treat our bodies in a way that is disrespectful to our Creator. Uh, we're going to take better care of it. And we're going to realize we're not doing that just for our own benefit, but we're doing that so that as long as we possibly can, we can be faithfully found serving God and sharing his love with others. Anything you'd add to that? Well, um, like you mentioned, bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness in every way. And those two aren't necessarily a conflict with one another, like it's diminishing bodily exercise, but it's noting that a character before God is more valuable than even stewardship of this body, because this body won't last forever, will be in prime condition forever, but our heart before God's eternal. So as far as priorities are concerned, we note that if we start from the heart, the body will reflect that. But if we dishonor the creation, including the ones given to us, that's going to be reflected as well. As far as a 
attitude towards quote unquote the environment and attitude towards politicians and those in leadership it's all going to stem from the one place that scripture emphasizes us to take care of the most and that is our character so start there and exercise will naturally flow from that yeah what's your thoughts on and sorry if you covered this while i was doing some housekeeping with questions coming in but um they mentioned about medicines as well like what's the biblical view on using um you know medicine and, and pharmaceuticals to to improve your your life i know it's kind of a controversial thing well paul wrote to timothy uh no longer uh, drink only water but uh have some wine because of your uh frequent illnesses and your stomach problems mm. uh, wine was the prescribed medicine for such illnesses during that particular time so it's entirely appropriate uh, to take advantage of uh, the medical breakthroughs uh, the lord gave uh, the scientists the mind uh, to be able to uh, determine what we can do to benefit our bodies. Uh, we need to do our homework, though, because not everything that is presented to us as the latest and greatest medical breakthrough uh, is uh, necessarily going to be the best thing for us. Uh, you know, <laughs> a great example of this is uh, the so-called settled, sci settled science over salt. Um, you know, there was a time where uh, I remember when I was uh, going out for football, doing two-a-days, uh, in between practices, they would say, uh, get a handful of salt tablets and wash it down with a Gatorade, and um, you'll be fine for the next practice. Well, <laughs> that was probably a little extreme, but uh, during that era, salt solved everything. Mm. And if you do get salt depleted, you're going to feel it. You know, it definitely will contribute to passing out or having heat stroke or things along this line. So we used to do that. Then I remember when I was running track in college, they were like, oh, you don't want to take salt. Salt's terrible for you. Mm -hmm. Salt is going to be the worst thing that you can possibly do. So don't have any salt. Okay. <laughs> we're, you know, this was like four years later and suddenly salt is terrible for yeah. you. Well, now uh, if you go on the interwebs, you're going to find that, uh, the verdict on salt is decidedly mixed. Mm -hmm. Like everything else, I think taken in moderation, it's fine. Yep. Uh, you need it. Uh, you know, I've, living here in Tucson, I have uh, gotten salt depleted, uh, and uh, boy, it's it's really a, a a very disconcerting thing to go through. I remember once I was just, I mean, I was having cramps and I was could barely stand up, and uh, my mom called the doctor down the street and he said, "I'll oh, just get a thing of table salt." And a thing of water, have him lick the table salt out of his hand and drink it. Five minutes later, I felt great. Wow. So body needs salt, but, you know, you can overdo it. Yep. Uh, I guess maybe the, 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 the most uh, insightful part of all this was something my brother, who's a dentist, told me, is that poisoning is defined as too much of anything. Mm. You know, you can water poison yourself. Wow. But that doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, well, I better cut water yeah, out of my right. diet. No more water. Uh, but, but you can. You, you drink too much water, you can kill yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, uh, and so. Drown, I guess. So, you know, as far <laughs> as, as medicines go, uh, my two cents worth is, uh, you know, if you have a doctor uh, that you trust who shares your Christian values, you know, get uh, input along that line. You know, if you feel a check in your spirit about it, get it a second opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, you can go on a reputable site like WebMD and get some uh, opinion about all of that. But mostly, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, it shall be given. Mm. Uh, you know, the most important thing is just saying, well, Lord, uh, I'm thinking about uh, taking this medicine or, or this particular treatment. Uh, you know, guide me in all of that. 
And I think there's, there's two extremes you can go to. Some people go so far in the medicinal side of things that they really discount the idea that God is the great healer. Yeah. And if med modern medical medicine can't come through for you, well, then you're fresh out of luck. Yeah. Uh, I've seen God supernaturally intervene too many times to believe that's true. On the other side of the coin, you know, as a cancer survivor, when I made the decision uh, to go to the Mayo Clinic in Scottsdale and have a procedure done to deal with my cancer, which was uh, about to metastasize, by the way, uh, you know, I had a very well-meaning person flock pull me aside and say, you know, you're really not trusting God by uh, going to the Mayo Clinic. And I yeah. said, well, you know, who created doctors? Who gave doctors the ability to do that? So I really like that passage uh, where Paul shares that with Timothy, uh, that you can take advantage of uh, the, the medicinal uh, avenues that are available there. Just make sure that you're a uh, informed consumer because ultimately you're going to have to be the one who takes it. Right. Uh, in my case, uh, did God use doctors to heal me? Well, yeah, I'm going on uh, year number two. It'll be September 3rd that I was pronounced cancer-free. Mm. So, you know, I'm, I'm all over modern medicine as far yeah. as, <laughs> as my cancer treatment goes. Yeah. But I realized that God used doctors, but it was God who affected the healing. So, yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen to that. Great. Well, Carson family, thank you for your question. Sounds like as a family, you're concerned about those things, which is great. It's a great pursuit to uh, to honor God with your, your bodies and do the right thing. So I hope that helps you out and uh, encourages you in that way. A uh, question from Stag. Uh, when it comes to discernment, why is one person's level of discernment different than the other? Shouldn't we all have the same level since we all have the Holy Spirit? So I guess, is there a gift of discernment that some have and some don't? So Kind of, I guess, is the question, why is it that some people are undiscerning? Yeah, or and, less discerning. Yeah, you know. and I guess the confusing part is the assumption that because we have access to the right answer, that means we'll always altruistically and intuitively want to speak the truth. Now, there's two ways that someone can be in error, intentionally or unintentionally. When people are unintentionally in error, this is where, uh, say for example, maybe a well-meaning pastor is going to make a point from the pulpit. He didn't research it enough, but he heard it from someone that he trusted, and the trail goes on until either someone didn't do their homework or mistrusted someone who was knowingly lying usually Alexander Hislop. But when we're talking about the concern, note that reference, usually when we're talking about the concern people have of saying, you know, my pastor made a mistake, he's lying to me. Not necessarily. But if on the other hand, you run into someone who's, you know, as scripture says, taken up with every wind and wave of doctrine, remind me, Dad, was that speaking to people who had the Holy Spirit? Yeah, absolutely. So the question isn't whether or not we're always going to be infallible. The question is, how do we pursue truth? And the answer is to have a love for it. If we want to be people who love the truth, that desire the truth, that want to exert the kind of effort that comes with verifying the truth, then it's not going to be through a, I guess the way the question was phrased, a complacent assumption that we're always going to know what's wrong and we're always going to say what's right. The concern that I oftentimes see is that if there's even the slightest possibility someone is going to make a mistake, that's proof. 
that they've already lied and they've already misrepresented the truth. That's atheist logic, not reality. If on the other hand, someone's going to say, well, this person told me the truth before, therefore they can do no wrong. No, scripture says, test all things and hold fast to what is good, especially in the context of that statement in 1 Thessalonians 5, th stuff said in the name of God, stuff said from the pulpit and about his word, the gift of prophecy. So when we're talking about discernment, obviously it's a gift, but a passion for the truth should be something that we also don't take for granted. My father here always tells the story of early on in his walk with God, the Lord kind of uh, let him ride with training wheels for a minute, and when a Jehovah's Witness approached you saying that you could be a part of the 144,000, you smelled something wasn't right. Made you, me sick to my stomach. Yeah, yeah. You, you couldn't uh, give chapter and verse or reference which watchtower organization had made such and such a false prophecy. And on it went. But as you can tell, my father didn't then take for granted the fact, oh, well, the Holy Spirit's going to keep me from all truth. Therefore, I'm not going to, intentional quote here, study to show myself approved, that I should know how I ought to answer each one. So make sure that we aren't complacent in our pursuit of truth, that we have a love for the truth, a desire to make it more a part of our lives, that we value it enough to take the effort and time it takes to verify whether or not it's being spoken, including on this broadcast. And of course, to give the benefit of the doubt that if someone's in error, that that doesn't necessarily mean that they're lying, they're misleading you, because it's not possible apart from also the Holy Spirit, who knows the thoughts of men, to attribute motive like that. But there is a good indicator that if over and over and over again someone intentionally and in the face of contrary evidence continues to emphasize a statement that they've made, then that probably means they aren't to be trusted. And again, a liar can tell the truth, and someone who's known for telling the truth can say something that's false. Just make sure that when we are exercising discernment, it's not assumed, and that's what's key. The level of discernment, though, is what's confusing me. Um, again, the will that we have, the desire that we have, the opportunity that we have on a daily basis to check things out is more accessible and easy now than any other time in history. Yes, there's a lot of bad information out there, but if we pick up the habit of saying, can I look that up? Can I get back to you? That's exercising discernment, and that requires effort on our parts. You don't have to assume the person's lying, but you can, given the appropriateness of the conversation, say, you know, because this is too important to just take at face value, do you mind if I check up on that? And this is especially true if someone comes to you saying, the Lord told me something. That mm -hmm. should always be examined. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there is a uh, a gift of discernment. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in fact, it's uh, described in First Corinthians chapter twelve as discerning of spirits. Uh, in, in other words, a, an ability, kind of like you know, you mentioned that encounter that I had uh, with a Jehovah's Witness when I was a very young Christian, um, without knowing, you know, chapter and verse, and this person peppering me with all these strange references to the 144,000 and all these things like this. I'd never studied before. I mean, I've been a Christian a couple of months. You know, there was just something inside of me that was like, ugh. Mm, something fishy. Yeah, it was like the, the spirit that was in me wasn't the spirit in this person. No. You know, and, and 
you know, I do believe that in certain circumstances, God does intervene and give you that gift of discerning of spirits. Mm -hmm. uh, we call uh, it, uh, if your discernometer goes off, yeah. uh, you know, maybe you don't know specifically uh, some teaching that's being shared. Uh, you, you, know, you can't point to, say, a chapter and verse, but there's something that just doesn't sit well with you. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, well, you know, that's the first step. Uh, but, you know, it's really interesting. The word translated discern uh, in Scripture uh, is usually uh, two Greek words ma mashed together. And uh, generally speaking, there are two words that will indicate the idea of judging something or evaluating something, but always with a really interesting uh, lead-in. Uh, the, uh, the Greek preposition dia, which means to look all the way through something. To, to, you know, really examine something. Uh, you know, I think maybe the greatest example of the gift of discernment uh, in action would be Acts 17.11, uh, where we are told that the believers in Berea were more noble-minded than those who were at Thessalonica, Paul, or Luke writes. Uh, he said, for they received the word with all eagerness and searched the scriptures daily to find out if these things were really so. Mm. Well, what things? Even the things the apostle Paul was saying we're really so yeah. and so you see that judging all the way through mm. you know they received the word with eagerness they were kind of excited about it emotionally but they were smart enough to say okay um we're not just going to go on the basis of emotion here yeah. we're, we're going to take a look at what the whole council of god's word says on this subject you know and, and that way i think uh, we can keep ourselves out of a peck of trouble mm. Uh, you know, if we find ourselves in a place where, say, we turn off our discernometer uh, because, well, the person's sharing it, you know, they're, they've got a big ministry and everybody thinks they're wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, all these uh, people say they're, they're just fantastic. Well, you know, maybe you're going to be right, but maybe you're going to be wrong. Uh, there was a big dust up today about uh, a fellow by the name of Francis Collins, who is a, a scientist who was deeply involved in a lot of the um, uh, debate about uh, and uh, about the vaccine. Uh, he's uh, worked for uh, you know a number of government agencies along this line, mm -hmm. great scientist, and trotted forward as an individual who was also a born-again evangelical Christian. And so he got an awful lot of uh, platforms uh, among evangelical Christians. Say, oh, well, this guy's so smart, and this guy really knows what he's talking about. You know, let's have Francis Collins on our program. Well, the big dust up today uh, is over the fact that Francis Collins, uh, among other things, uh, was also directly and personally involved with using even late stage developing babies in the womb that were mm. aborted, using their aborted tissue parts to do experiments. Some of them just absolutely horrendous, mm. like sewing uh, the top of a baby's head on a rodent to see what would happen. Uh, this is, you know, uh, okay, you're going to have this guy on your program. Guess, you're going to say yeah. that this guy, you know, he might be a marvelous scientist, but just because the guy's a marvelous scientist, you don't just say, well, you know, he's been on these different forums and been widely accepted. Who am I? You know, let's, let's ask him to opine on Christian issues. No, you, you don't do that. You exercise discernment, no matter what a person's human credentials uh, societal credentials, academic credentials might be, it uh, doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. What matters is what does the Word of God have to say? So yeah. I think if we're going to really practice the gift of discernment, I think there is that supernatural dimension, you know, that sense of oh, something's up here spiritually uh, that God can give to us. 
but also, and in, in the vast majority of cases, uh, the gift of discernment is exactly what the Bereans were practicing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know that is in complete harmony with what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do. When the Spirit of truth has come, he will lead you into all truth. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we got to do our homework, basically. Yeah. 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 I think as well, I mean, when I think about discernment levels being different between people, and you mentioned it about emotion, you know, where you and I might discern something differently is if when one of us has a different emotion towards it for something that I really want to do or want to pursue emotionally, I might discern it differently because my heart's wicked, you know, and that's why we we need each other. Well, we not only need each other, but, you know, we need each other bringing each other back to the Word. Right. You know, what does the Scripture say about this? What is the clear teaching of God's Word in this area? Not cut and paste, you know, Jehovah's Witness, 144,000, throw it at the kid who doesn't know anything kind of stuff. I mean, that lady was quoting Scripture. The devil quoted Scripture to Jesus. Uh, But what does the Scripture say about an issue in context? You know, what is the the whole teaching of God's Word on a particular subject? And, you know, we say it a lot on this program. If what we uh, say an individual of Scripture means is at odds with what the vast majority of other scriptures say on the same issue, yeah. we've misinterpreted that scripture. Yeah. If on the other side of the coin we say, you know, in a broad strokes sort of sense, this is what the Bible teaches on this subject, yeah. and it doesn't line up with the individual scriptures, well, then we use our discernment and be able to say, you know, what I want here is truth. You know, if, you know, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth, mm. your word is truth. So if we can direct people back having that biblical standard, mm. well, then if you feel a certain way or I feel a certain way, right. um, well, you know, everybody's feelings are everybody's feelings. Mm. But uh, our feelings have to bow to that final decider, which is the clear teaching of God's word. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's not easy for some people. I've been in situations where people have emotionally made up their mind they want to do a certain yeah. thing. And I'll just say, well, this is what the scripture has to say about this issue. And they go, well, I don't care what the Bible has to say. Well. Yeah there's some discernment right there right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you've discerned yourself yeah. in a sense uh you need to repent yeah yeah <laughs> there you go right yeah. or we can manipulate the word ourselves we can grab a verse to yeah. justify what we're doing but like you say you got to take that whole counsel yeah and, and bring it into the light i mean another yeah. thing that uh, you guys both said and i think is really important is uh, the the whole idea of sharing uh our our issues especially when we need discernment um with other people mm. um you know the, the old saying used to go he represents himself in court has an idiot for a lawyer well i believe that anybody who thinks that they can minister to themselves has a moron for a minister mm. um, we need each other we've all got blind spots and we all do need to yeah. be in a place where you know we're, we're open to god uh, bringing up other scriptures or yeah. bringing you know uh, solidly biblically based perspectives on that we should always have people in our lives whose walk with God and whose grasp of God's word we we really look up to yep. and and respect and uh, not be afraid um, to bring some of these maybe emotional urges we might have uh, into that light yeah and then be prepared to listen yeah to that person that is huge <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. hey thanks yeah. for doing that I'm gonna go do right. that one <laughs> that's right that's lovely <laughs> yeah that's a lovely yeah. thing you said yeah right. yeah Great. Well, good stuff. Thank you. Uh, uh, who's that? Stag. Thank you for that question. It's a great question. I uh, hope that helps you out with that. A uh, question from Drew. 
When Satan fell, did he fall from the first, second, or third heaven during the millennial kingdom? And in Revelation, which heaven does Satan fall from that time around? And where is Satan now if he's not in hell? Okay, four, four things to correct let, there. Yeah, let, let, me, let me ask you. I'll, I'll lead you through this. Okay. First of all, <laughs> is Satan in hell right now? No. Where is he? He is. According to Scripture, where is he at? According to Revelation chapter 12, the passage where we're told that Satan fell from heaven, that what? He's accusing the brethren before the throne of God day and night. And we see an example of that where? Well, several places, but the most direct is in the book of Zechariah, where he's accusing Joshua the high priest before the throne of God, and the angel of the Lord, Jesus, before the incarnation, uh, is his advocate and takes the obvious problems that he has and right makes him righteous before the throne of God and, and is represented by clothing. Yeah, and he's also there in Job, isn't he? Yeah, and then there's other examples yeah. in Matthew too. But yeah. the the point of emphasis is if he's not in hell, where is he? Let's just start there. He's in heaven. He's in the presence of God and that needs to be understood because if we have this uh, you know, dualistic, Zoroastrian-esque view of Christianity that thinks that Satan's, you know, Araman and that God is Oramaz, the light side versus the dark side, and we just happen to pick one God as opposed to the other. The dark side of the force. Yeah, then, yeah. then we have the, yeah. then we have the whole thing. I, I'm your father. <laughs> I am his father. Hey, you are his father. Yeah. Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> no, never mind. Carry on, Sean. We, we digress. <laughs> yeah, so, Drew, be very careful with that mindset because if we have two gods, that means we have two standards for how we determine right and wrong. The reason why God is God and there is such a thing as good, there is such a thing as truth, is because anything other than him by nature is not that. Satan is the greatest example of that, but he's not superior to all of creation as the antithesis of him. Right. Uh, the big to do about, uh, you know, light can't exist without darkness. It's like saying that heat can't exist without cold. Cold, darkness, take your pick, are concepts that describe the absence or reduction of something. So if we have an objective standard like truth, we also have an objective embodiment, a personality that that goodness is based on, that truth is based on, and that is the will, the mind, the nature that we call God. To miss that nature is sin. The greatest of deviations from God's character is Satan, but that greatness of deviation doesn't necessarily mean that he's the equal and opposite to him in power. He's a mighty being. He's a cherub, according to the Old Testament prophets, and those are very exalted creatures, but they're not deities. They may boast or he may specifically boast that he is. But be very careful of that mindset of even the video game-esque, you know, hell is this uh, separate kingdom, this opposite of heaven. That may be true on, you know, Steam Deck or wherever, but it's not true biblically. The existence that we call hell is a state of separation between us and God in the sense of a blessing. And that quarantining of evil is something that no one is going to experience until Revelation 20 after the Millennial Kingdom. Now, you mentioned it briefly as describing... One other thing, one thing I wanted to ask you uh, along the same line. So, 
Satan can't be everywhere at once. No, he is bound to time and space. He's or not omnipresent. Case, yeah, if yeah. he chooses to be before the throne of God, which he generally wants to, then that means he's not on the earth. Now, that means other adversarial spirits can do that kind of work. But like we mentioned often on the broadcast, if you think, oh, Satan himself is tempting me, you're not that cool. He has better <laughs> things to worry about. Yeah, yeah and, and it's interesting how in Job, uh, when Satan comes before God's throne, mm -hmm. God rhetorically asks him, where have you been? He said, going to and fro throughout the earth. Yeah. So, you know, he does have that access before the Father where he's accusing us, but he also takes trips down here, but he can't be everywhere at once. Yeah, and we see that the access to the throne of God will be cut off at Revelation 12. So right. note that first. The second thing you said, the second or third heaven during the millennial kingdom, uh, Revelation 12 and Revelation 20 are two different chapters, one very much preceding the other. Uh, if you take a futurist, literal, dispensationalist, or Zionist view of the end times, I'll explain all that in a minute. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah, uh, that's in reference to around the halfway point of the tribulation, which would be a thousand and three and a half years before the millennial kingdom comes to a close. Now, when we're talking about the you know, chronology, the end times, that can be a separate question all on its own, but you said locationally, the second or third heaven. <clears throat> Where you're getting that from is unfortunately a apostate cult or Islam. Uh, Mormons are not Christians. Muslims would be the first to tell you they're not Christians. They're handling, and this is referring to the Mormons, of Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2 is not only missing Paul's entire point, but making an, a mistake as far as location as opposed to type. Now, when we use the word heaven, we mean one of three things. We can refer to heaven as the sky, right. where we see in Genesis mm -hmm. chapter 1, for instance, where the birds of the air fly in the midst of heaven. Mm -hmm. Now, does that mean that they're where God directly manifests his glory? Spoiler alert. No, it oh. means the atmosphere. That's mm -hmm. the sense in which that term is used. The second term for heaven, the second heaven, if you want to understand the language, is what we would call the known universe, the creation, the the space, the plans, the galaxies, that is referred to as the heavens, which we also see in Genesis chapter 1, where it says that God created the heavens mm. and the earth. Mm. Now you'd say, wasn't the earth contain heaven? Yes, an atmosphere, but the heavens, plural, and they usually do us that favor of saying the expanse, the beyond the vanishing point, the stars and their dwelling places, mm. the heavens. That's a reference to the universe beyond the heavens that we call our atmosphere. The third heaven is what Paul was referring to in what was called paradise, meaning where God directly manifests his glory. Right now, that is an estate separate from the known universe, but it won't be forever. We're told in Revelation chapter 21 that the glory of God will descend with the new Jerusalem and he will dwell in it. So heaven will become earth, the new heavens and the new earth that will be created as we read in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Now, him being 
in separate heavens or a lesser heaven. Uh, that's based on Joseph Smith's mishandling of this passage and 1 Corinthians 15, where he categorizes people in this bizarre twisting of Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy and saying that, you know, you have your terrestrial level of glory, your celestial level of glory, and your telestial level of glory, which is a made-up word, by the way. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> the idea is Copyright. that you yeah. are put in these different categories of existence based off of your good works. If you were a decent person but never became a Mormon, you have the lowest level of glory, and it's described as so glorious that if someone saw it, they would immediately commit suicide to get there positive image. The second level of glory is usually limited to angels, people who observed Mormon ceremonies but never got physically married in a temple. So they didn't observe all the necessary ceremonies to become exalted. Mm -hmm. uh, the doctrine of exaltation and glorification is the belief that Mormons have as opposed to any other group that they can become gods through observation right. of gospel ordinances, laws, and these include getting married in a Mormon temple. Mm -hmm. And then the third level of glory is where you're existing as gods and goddesses, being eternally pregnant and populating what we call spirit children. Another word for it would be souls, and they would then inhabit bodies where they would create their own worlds and basically repeat the process we see happening on this earth. Not Christianity not the gospel, not biblical, not true. If we read into these cults, sound Christian doctrine, then we're going to be deceived when they start to shoehorn in other things because you already have so much in common with us. Don't fall for that. Uh, the mindset of there being separate categories or levels of heaven are missing the entire point of what heaven is, and that's with Jesus through and through. Mm. There's certainly differences of rewards that will be in heaven. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 3 and 2 Corinthians 5. But if we miss the point of what makes heaven heaven, then we'll think like, oh, I'll be in this like separate category, and oh, I can settle for like, you know, the coach side of heaven or whatever. No. Fellowship with Jesus, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And then the fourth thing that I think owes to be corrected here is when you say which heaven does Satan fall from that time around and where. If we let Scripture dictate to us what we need to know about our enemy, the usual confusion about this is when Jesus said, during his earthly ministry, by the way, I saw Satan fall like lightning. But this was in the context of what? them being sent out to cast out demons, him right. describing mm -hmm. the kingdom of this world right. being essentially undone. So if we're asking the question, did Revelation 12 take place at Matthew, I don't remember the chapter at this moment, then we are missing the point that Jesus is emphasizing. He's not noting a historical point like sometime before creation. We're, he's not even necessarily noting a present reality at the time of his earthly ministry. Revelation is set, if you take this view of the end times, at a point in the future. And knowing then that he'll be cut off from, in a proper definition of heaven, the presence of God, then we can ask the question, so where is he? Mm. He's doing his thing. We need to be doing ours. And if we get so invested into, you know, where's Satan? Who's the demon? Uh, is that person the Antichrist? And so forth. We've spent three sentences less talking about someone actually worth discussing, someone that we can actually and want to actually draw closer to. And if 
Scripture tells us at least this much about what we need to know, that needs to be not only where it stops, but definitely where it starts. Mm -hmm. Not the divine comedy, not doctrines and covenants, and certainly, certainly not our imaginations and informed through video games. So just be very, very careful with that, Drew. Thank you for the question, and note that we're not correcting you to make you feel bad, but we want to make sure that you're not only properly informed about these things, but not cultivating false definitions and false assumptions, because this does lead to darker things down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything to add to that? No, I think that's great. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, and the most important thing to remember is, uh, Satan is a deceiver. He's always going to want to give a distorted view of who he is. And I think uh, there's two equal and opposite ways that he goes about it. Uh, C.S. Lewis once observed that he is equally happy if we act as if he doesn't exist or if we are absolutely obsessed and are into the demon, demon, who's got the demon, Satan's doing right. this and that and the other. Uh, you know, maybe a good diagnostic. Uh, if you spend more time in prayer talking to Satan than to God, you need to do a course correction. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I think that's uh, reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I, I stand uh, without fear of contradiction on that. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, great. Well, uh, Drew, thank you for that question. Hope that helps you out. Thank you for that. We have a question from Dwayne. Uh, I have a question. Can you have a hobby that is not related to the Bible? And if so, how do you stop it from becoming an idol? And can something become an idol without you noticing? So should we have hobbies that well, are not you, really biblical? Or, you know, I mean, um, if it's golf, yeah, obviously. Okay, well, I'll, I'll confess. <laughs> I, I enjoy playing golf. I play miniatures. I sculpt with yeah. art. You yeah. play music. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, they say uh, golf uh, is... Uh, is, is, it was named golf because all the other four-letter words were taken. Uh, and uh, boy, I'll tell you, uh, being on the golf course, it's a spiritual place. God gets mentioned a lot. I'm sure. Uh, but uh, maybe not in the most edifying way. Um, but how do you uh, say golf in a way that glorifies God? You know, I mean, I've seen pastors say, oh, you've got, you know, four hours to play golf and the world's going to hell, you know, and uh, how dare you? And then they immediately go out and surf for four hours. Uh, you know, so uh, be that as it may. Uh, one of the things that I think you can do with any hobby uh, is apply Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23 to it. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Um, can an individual play golf for the glory of God? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. if we dedicate our hearts to the Lord, uh, if we want to pursue excellence, uh, because God has given us gifts in a particular area, you can do it for the glory of God. Uh, you know, I think about Eric Little, uh, you know, in Chariots of Fire, uh, where his sister was on him about wanting to go to the Olympics instead of uh, going to be a missionary. And Eric Little mm-hmm. said, you know, God has made me for China, but he also made me fast. <laughs> and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Right. And, and so I think when we take what we are doing and we do it as unto the Lord. We do it because God has given us inclinations and gifts in this particular area. Uh, you know, say for instance, uh, you know, the, the golf analogy. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a chance to share my faith out there because inevitably, you know, a buddy of mine, Mike and I go out and uh, play uh, on the municipal courses here and you get paired up with a couple other guys. And uh, usually they're, you know, you know, 
using colorful language and so on. But you get about two or three holes in, you're making conversation. They'll say, so uh, what do you do for a living? And I'll say, well, I'm a pastor. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, I, I said this bleeping word and, and all this stuff. And I'll kind of laugh and I'll say, well, don't worry about it. Um, before I became a Christian, I considered myself an atheist. And I said worse things than that. And they go, you are an atheist? And you're a pastor? Really? How'd that happen? Well, <laughs> you asked. Yep. So, you know, then I get an opportunity to be able to, to share my faith. Sometimes uh, it'll just be because you're out there and somebody will say, oh, yeah, you know, I got this diagnosis or this is happening in my life or, you know, I had this. And, and, you know, as we often share with our congregation, I'll be able to say, well, can I pray for you about that? You know, so I think being out there, being involved in something like this with a mindset that I'm not just doing this because I enjoy it, but I do, uh, but because there's even greater opportunities uh, there, uh, then I think you know our hobbies uh, can be put in their proper place. One of the reasons we have hobbies is because uh, part of being made in the image and likeness of God is that we have an insatiable hunger inside of us for purpose and meaning. And uh, you know, if you're involved with any kind of hobby, uh, you know that's usually why people do that. They don't just do it to do nothing. They want to achieve a certain goal. They want to have a certain expertise in a game or something like that. You know, and, and so uh, you know, it can raise some really interesting questions with people. Saying, you know, like saying, yeah, why do you suppose? You know, we all seem to have this inclination to want to do something in our lives that matter. And then maybe an opportunity to be able to share comes up. Mm -hmm. So, but if we do what we do heartily as to the Lord, not to men, then I think we're guarding ourselves from idolatry. What's idolatry? Well, idolatry is anything that we look to aside from God for our ultimate sense of significance and security in life. Mm. Um, if, for instance, I look at ministry and sharing a message, say, later tonight, as my source of significance and security. If a mm -hmm. bunch of people come up and say, oh man, I never thought anybody could get through three chapters of Ezekiel in one night. Uh, boy, we don't even really know something. if we uh, the, the jury's still out whether that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, so, and, and I go, oh man, you know, having that person appreciate that, that really makes me feel good inside. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm starting to focus on, you know, my expertise or getting through this message as that which gives me a sense of significance and security. Well, guess what? preaching a message on Ezekiel just became an idol. Yeah. I mean, that, it's hard to do, but my fallen nature can, <laughs> can do yeah. it and has done it. You can do it if you, you try. Know? So, uh, <clears throat> you know, the, 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 the bottom line is this. We got to ask ourselves this question. Okay, um, what is going to give me a sense of peace in this life today? Yeah. Uh, why am I a worthwhile human being? Why did this, my participation this day matter? Uh, if any of the answers to those questions are less than uh, because I've been bought with a price by Jesus Christ, because he loves me, because he wants to share his love and his life in this world through me, um, then I missed it. Yep. But when I do that, then kind of going back to Romans 12, we discover what it means to be a living sacrifice. Mm. Yeah, I think the key is without you noticing, don't stop paying attention. If yeah. you need to take a break, if you need to entertain the thought, well, if this was taken away tomorrow, what would my life then look like? Mm. Those yeah. are good metrics. But like if it's a social hobby like uh, board games or uh, sports, those kinds of deals, 
be a decent person and an example to the people around you. If it's something that you do more on your own or can involve time alone, redeem the time. Maybe listen to the Bible while you're doing it, if that's possible, or to uh, just involve yourself in things or yeah, incorporate good. things into it that remind you of God's Word. When I'm you know, reading books about my hobby, I guarantee you some of the aspects are outright atheistic, but the authors can't seem to get away from a Bible reference every now and then, and I'm the first one to point those out. Yeah. Those are the ways that we can pay attention and notice is first of all distance yourself if you need it but also involve him in the process too that i think will keep you from idolatry just fine yeah that's good uh, keep your discernment up sean i think you can do this bullet question here at the end based by experience with you a question from brian if we are all descended from adam and eve uh where did all the different races come from Thanks for the program for taking the time to answer my question. Genesis 10. Uh, the term race isn't a biblical one, by the way. It's a Darwinian assumption that there's superior and inferior races or types of human beings. Um, it's not a biblical concept, but the ethnicities that we call ourselves to, what the Bible oftentimes calls nations, uh, Genesis 10 notes the division between Noah and his three sons. Shem, for the most part, takes up Asia and the Middle East. Ham takes up Africa and other parts of the Middle East. And Japheth takes up Europe and the um, areas north of Turkey. Uh, as far as the summary and passage, Genesis 10, 30, Notes, these are the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations, in their nations. The term can be uh, inferred race, but be careful with that. And from the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So note that uh, it was a very early development. God is not a uh, ethnocentrist. He is a fan of diversity, but the point that we need to be careful about, and there are great articles at Answers in Genesis on this, is when we bring into the assumption, the atheistic and nihilistic assumption, that other types of humans are just better than others because of these <coughs> genetic minutia. So nations definitely came early after the time of Noah's flood and his three sons, where they traveled and how they adapted to their environments. But note, it's not a mark of superiority or inferiority. It's diversity, which God is a fan of. Mm, very good. Sean, I love it when you take us home like yeah. that. <laughs> Thank you for that. Right there on the runway. The right there. <laughs> Stick around. We're going live again in, in 30 minutes in the book of Ezekiel, as we mentioned earlier for our uh, Wednesday night service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. Same channel, same places. And thank you for being part of the show. Great show, great questions. Appreciate that. We'll see you uh, same time, same place tomorrow as well for A Reason for Hope. Have a great evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.